Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from quarantine here in Detroit. Alright, so, this has been a week, let me tell you. <clears throat> like, I couldn't blink my eyes without something happening. So, first, we're going to start with uh, tributes to Regis Philbin and Olivia de Holland. Um, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for um, doing these together. Uh, but honestly, um, there's so much to be said about both of them. I'm trying to condense it. Um, and I, the reason why these tributes are being done together um, is because... And not because of a lack of respect. Um, because I do have a lot of respect for both stars. Uh, but... Frankly, there's so much other stuff that we want to get to um, that I I talked to Will about it and we thought it was best to to, to do these together. Um, so Regis Philbin died on Saturday. Um, or at least the announcement of the announcement of his death happened on Saturday. Um, he was 88 years old, and he had a fantastic career, and you can tell a lot about somebody by what people say about them, and there were so many loving tributes. Um, The View, um, Whoopi and Joy, and even Sonny Hostin. All said really lovely things about um, Regis when they met him. Um, Joy, told a, Joy told a really cute story about how uh, he, she had gone to Equinox, uh, a gym in New York City, and um, Regis was there working out, uh, and he told her that he needed to find a story to talk about um, the next day for the show, <laughs> and. So the next day, he goes on air and just says that he ran into Joy Behar at the Equinox. Um, and that was kind of Regis in a nutshell. Uh, he would, he could entertain you with just the, the trivials of life. Uh, you know, he didn't need an outlandish story um, to make people laugh. He just needed an everyday occurrence. And, like I said, there's already just people from all walks are coming out and and paying tribute. Uh, His former co-host and uh, former co-host of today's Third Hour, Kathy Lee Gifford, um, did a tribute uh, the, those two were really great friends um, through their time working together and then after. Uh, and, you know, you could tell that she was just very sad um, by Regis's death and I think really shaken up. <clears throat> and, you know, it, it, she worked with a man for... 
more than 15 years. So it, it's kind of a given that um, they would hold a special place in each other's lives. So, <clears throat> you know, rest in peace, Regis. Um, really, you know, he was so um, omnipresent in pop culture. You, It's really hard um, to name something he didn't influence or was a part of in some form or another. Now we're going to talk about Olivia de Holland. Olivia de Holland was 104 and was the last surviving major star of the number one movie of all time, Gone with the Wind. And Mr. Holland, oh my God, uh, she was so legendary. Um, you know, I, I I love old Hollywood. You guys know that. And as I was researching, and um, just researching her life, learning a little bit about her, um, learning a little bit about her life. Um, learning a little bit more about her history because everyone kept saying like she was so groundbreaking and I knew she was talented. I knew she was very, very upset with Feud um, to the point where she sued uh, Ryan Murphy and FX for <clears throat> the way she was portrayed in, in Feud. Um, she felt that it disgraced her legacy. And really, I, I want someone to do, <clears throat> I want someone to do um, an anthology series based on some of these old Hollywood broads. Like, <laughs> and the first season has to be Olivia de Holland because she broke the star system, or the I'm sorry, she broke the she broke the studio system. Um, she was contracted with Warner's. Warner Brothers, as it was known then, for seven years. Uh, and she was suspended several times um, for f- refusing to do roles and other transgressions. When her contract came up, they tried to force her to do another six months, saying that she, she owed them that time uh while she had been suspended and she sued them and she won um they say that that was the camel that broke the straw's back that's not the right saying <laughs> they say that that was the straw that broke the camel's back wow ed <laughs> um for the studio system um because once she was able to freelance and be a free agent uh, she racked up um, more Oscar nominations and two wins. <clears throat> and she would later go on to deny that she and her sister, she and her sister, Jane Fontaine, feuded. But it was quite well known that they, they fought. Um, they would use the press against one another, etc. <clears throat> and eventually Miss... 
Mr. Hovland decided to retire. And she lived the rest of her days in France, only emerging to sue, um, like I said, Ryan Murphy and Ethics um, in a case that she lost. And we covered it here on Drunk Gossip. And I, I, I did side with um, Ryan Murphy and FX. And I stand by that. Um, because I don't feel like she had a strong case at all. But that doesn't diminish the fact that I have a great deal of respect for her. And I think that's something that um, a lot of us need to get back to learning is that you can disagree with someone but still have a great deal of respect. I am going to take a break right now, though, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. So, in the last segment, we talked about Regis Philbin um, and his passing at the age of 88. And... You'll notice I didn't talk about Kelly Ripa's tribute to Regis. That's because Will and I decided that this was best for its own segment. Um, so, as you all know, Kelly Ripa has hated every single male co-host that she's had. Um, currently, she's trying to push Ryan Seacrest out and what we're hearing is that um she's gonna be successful in it um she's gonna get what she wants and he's going to be um (coughs) gone as soon as they can get back into in studio and he can make that announcement but um we're gonna talk a little bit more about Kelly's relationship with Regis Now, when we did the Kelly Ripa deep dive, I didn't really go into specifics about the relationship between the two other than (sighs) Kelly really was upset about Regis deciding to retire and didn't tell her. Um, I believe I talked about this rule that Regis had. And the rule basically said... Uh, that he didn't go out to dinner with his co-hosts. He, anything that they talked about on air was what they talked about for the very first time. There was no planning. There, it was all very spontaneous and all very um, instinctive. Uh, and that's what made the show so popular. Uh, it is also partly where I derived... Um, doing Drunk Gossip Live from. Well, when Kelly came on, she wanted to change things. She wanted to go out to dinner with Regis. She wanted to present this facade of them being friends. And while Regis had pushed for her to get the job, uh, for numerous reasons, including he believed that it would bring in a younger audience, he was not um, about to change the way he did things. Uh, in his mind, it had been successful for nearly um, 20 years at that point. And why would he want to mess with the formula? <clears throat> so, much like she is with Ryan Seacrest, 
Kelly began to badmouth Regis behind his back to producers. <clears throat> and um, while on air and to the press, she tried to present them as very good friends and um, being an unstoppable um, team. Sound familiar? Uh, she really wanted the show for herself. Uh, so, towards the end of his tenure, she started reminding producers that he was up there in age, he was very expensive, and wouldn't it be fabulous if they could get him to leave and get a younger man in with her? Now, here's a part of the story where I want to just do a little bit of contrasting. Regis and Kathy Lee worked together for 15 years. And Kathy Lee was always fine with the way Regis did things. And when she left, it was because she wanted to spread her wings. The two remained very good friends. And Kathy Lee, without any prodding, um, released a statement of sorrow and condolences to Regis's family. When Kelly heard of Regis's death, she didn't want to do anything. And in fact, it took producers all weekend to convince her to um, do a tribute to Regis. Now, they could have threatened her, they could have forced her to do it, uh, but instead they went another way. Instead of threatening her, instead of um, any of any number of these other um Instead of any of these other scenarios that they could have gone, they took a page right out of her own book and made it a public relations issue. In fact, our source told us that one producer cut off all the rest and just said, Kelly, if you don't do a tribute this is going to look bad. Without Regis, there is no live. The the producer then went on to say, <clears throat> you know, you presented yourself as, as good friends, um, and Regis never called you out. He, Regis never said, you know, we don't get along, we didn't talk after I left. But if you if you don't do a tribute, the press is gonna start to catch wind and look into it, and that is what got her to change her mind. So on Monday, live started with a tribute to the man who started the show, um, and I know I'm gonna get a lot of flack um, for going after Kelly Ripa. Um, I've already been called a misogynist uh, for um, doing the Kelly Ripa deep dive. 
First of all, it's my job, okay? Let's be real here. This is why I get paid the tens of dollars. <laughs> but uh, more than that, um, I don't think it's misogynistic to talk about someone's bad behavior because I talk about uh, male bad behavior as well. It just so happens that Kelly Ripa um, really is not a... She's not a nice person. And that's not to take away from her contribution to the show. Um, At 19 years, she has been with the show longer than everyone who's co-hosted, except the one exception is Regis. Um, He retired in 2010, I believe. Um, Which means he was on the show... For 23 years. So if she can make it to 2024. Or a little bit after that. She will have co-hosted longer than anyone. With that being said of course. um, Of course her fingerprints are are all over the show at this point. Um, And she in her own right has. um, She has her own claim to the show at this point, in my mind. But that doesn't make up for her bad behavior. And it doesn't make up for um, her trying to present something that's really not there. Alright, I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. And speaking of males behaving badly... We are going to talk some Jake Paul. Okay, so. <clears throat> um, just in case you guys didn't listen to the episode. Um, I think it was two back, maybe? Maybe three, I don't know. <laughs> listen, I don't get paid enough to remember everything perfectly. <laughs> um, but we talked about Jake Paul. He got into trouble for having a party um, in his Calabas house in California. Um, And what didn't hit the mainstream media was the fact that uh, before the party got busted up, uh, Jake had gone to a bedroom with a male and a female. The female ended up in the bathroom and Jake and the gentleman ended up having sex. Which was caught by... uh, Someone walked in and caught them doing it. Uh, And then... The other part of this was... um, On his wedding night to Tana... Jake was... um, She came home to find him servicing a male escort... Now, with with that segment, a lot of people, I expected a lot of blowback for quote-unquote outing or um, asking how I knew that, and I didn't get that. A lot of people stepped forward and said, yeah, like, we totally saw this coming. Um, a couple of people alleged that they too had sex with Jake Paul, uh, both male and female, uh, but my source, who is a former um, gossip blogger, 
um, started talking to me about one in particular who came to him with a story of her own. So, a little more than a year ago, um, she noticed that her husband was acting a little bit funny. Now, he was buddies with Logan and Jake Paul, and would often go to their parties. And in her mind, she didn't really care um, that he was going out with his buddies, but something seemed off. She noticed that he, when he would go out, he was dressing nicer, putting on cologne, all the the sort of stuff that really flags a wife's writer that her husband's having an affair. So, but for a while, she didn't say anything about it. And then she did. And they got into a huge fight and he left. He came back three days later and there was a hickey on his neck. And she confronted him on it and he said, well, I figured we were separating and I had a good time. So the wife let it go. She wasn't pleased that her husband had slept with someone else, but she wasn't about to make a big fuss. And then she noticed that he started becoming very secretive when it came to his phone, which was a major change in the relationship. So she, when he went in the shower one day, uh, he went in the shower, she picked up his phone and discovered that he and Jake Paul had been exchanging dick pics. Which apparently flagged something in her. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> she confronted him with it and he said that the two just like to goof on one another. And she said it didn't sound right. But again, she wasn't about to make waves. She wasn't about to create a big fuss about anything. So she kind of let it go. And after a while, she kind of, a couple weeks went by. I shouldn't say after a while, a couple weeks. And she just had this strange sensation that something wasn't right. So once again, she went into her husband's phone. And this time, she found there was a picture of her husband getting a blowjob from Jake Paul. And that was it for her. She sent the video to herself so she would have it as evidence in their divorce. And um, she went through, she filed for divorce. Now, here's here's where it gets a little bit hazy. Because she believes that Jake Paul and her husband ended up being lovers. Um, But there's literally no evidence on anyone's part that this is the case. But... My source in L.A. seen the video and showed me the video. 
And when you watch the video, you can definitely see... Um, you can see the face of who it is, and it is 99% Jake Paul. Um, I will always give it that little 1% where it could have been someone else. Um, mostly because my lawyer friends told me I should. <laughs> but yes, I am convinced it was Jake Paul. Um, and, and the video lasted longer than what you would think it would. Um, and I just need to, just a little side note here. My, my poor friend Derek had to hear about this after I seen the video. So, thank you, Derek, for listening. <laughs> and Will was just appalled when I told him. Um, I'm not sure Will has forgiven me for telling him. Um, so, um, after I record this segment, I'll ask him. Um, okay, so, anyways, yes, there is video, uh, and, like, there's no proof that Jake and this dude ended up together, but she did say that her husband, after the divorce, um, spent a lot more time with Jake Paul and Logan Paul, uh, and after their last court hearing, she heard him mention a quote-unquote boyfriend. Um, Before this, she had no idea that he was um, attracted to male sexually because when they got married, um, he identified as heterosexual. Um, And when she met Jake Paul, he identified as heteroflexible. Um... And at the time, she didn't know what that means. And if you don't know what that means, I'm going to give you a really quick lesson here. Heteroflexible essentially is by, but you, but the guy wants to be, to continue to um, claim a hetero title. Um, so what I mean by that is, heteroflexible is mostly you're into females. Or if you're a heteroflexible female, you're mostly into men. Um, but if the conditions are right, you'll sleep with someone of the same sex. Um, it's a newer thing. Um, and to be 100% honest, I the reason why I started with it being a male thing is because I've not heard any females really call themselves heteroflexible. Um, most females that I know, that I've talked to, um, have either said that they're bi-curious or um, they're bisexual. Um, if that, if they, this was a case where they were mostly attracted to one gender over the other. So, I don't know. Um, and I just want to go on the record with, publicly, Jake Paul has not stated um, that he is heteroflexible. This seems to be a private thing, um, but he keeps getting caught with men. And I, and this, my source, before he brought this story to me, double-checked on 
on this woman, and she actually seems very legit. So, there you have it. I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. And I am back. So, okay, this whole Kanye West thing. Um, I keep trying to pass it off to Will, and Will will not let me. Um, and that's only a semi-joke. Um, I have tried to actually pass off the Kanye West running for president to Will because, you know, politics is, is his forte and I'm not allowed to speak on them. Um, because apparently I'm not professional enough. <laughs> when he listens to this, I'm going to be in so much trouble. Um, anyways. Will doesn't want to cover Kanye West, and unfortunately, one of us has to, so it falls to me. So Kanye, um, as you all know, is having this big public meltdown, or I guess what we're calling a presidential uh, a presidential campaign. <laughs> so. Just to walk you through a little bit of what's happened thus far and what we know. Kanye announced his bid for president. People automatically believe that he was trying to help Donald Trump win the second term by splitting the black vote with Joe Biden. That hasn't come to fruition. And at this point, Kanye's only polling at 2%. And he's not even on the ballot in most of the states. Um, and then word came that this whole thing was a hoax. Uh, that he was never seriously running for president. It was just to promote an album. Well, we've heard, uh, here's where things start getting a little prickly. Uh, because the title of the album that I was told was God's Country. <coughs> um, and it was supposed to drop, drop July 24th. And something must have happened because um, there was a new name for the album, but it didn't drop on July 24th. Instead, Taylor Swift, his eternal nemesis, dropped an album called Folklore. Uh, And that has sold uh, almost a million copies um, in its first week of sale, uh, in the first three days of sales, um, which is pretty much uh, right up on par with what her album sales usually do. Excuse me. So, there was no album. And then we started hearing that the Kanye's marriage to Kim Kardashian was strained. Now, This is not a surprise. Um, Kim Kardashian has always been out for Kim Kardashian. So, being told that her marriage to Kanye was strained, not not a huge surprise, to be frank. Um, What was a surprise uh, is Kanye calling her out. Um, I believe it was last week we talked about how um, Kanye was spilling all the Kardashian secrets and Kris Jenner and Kim were trying to get him to shut up. 
Um, then at some point, Kanye apologized to Kim. And everything seemed to be heading to smoother ground. Um, and when I say smoother, I mean it's Kanye and Kim. There's always going to be drama. Let's just be real here. Um, Kim wanted the keys to the kingdom. She wanted the right to everything. And Kanye was not about to let that happen. So, in more recent days, it has started to come out that uh, Kim and Kanye had been talking divorce for months um, before this whole weird presidential breakdown thing happened. Uh, and... Um, what my source is telling me is what they were hoping for um, was not a peaceful divorce or even a quiet divorce. Kim wanted the cameras to be allowed to film her divorce. Um, we all know that she's a very public person and she really lives for this kind of manufactured drama. Now, when I say this, keep in mind that these are two very rich people. There are prenups in place to protect both of them. Um, what she was more or less hoping for was um, to catch Kanye acting a fool on camera, play it for her audience, so she could gain sympathy. And what she what she kind of is right now. Uh, but Kanye's stands are really showing up for him. Hardcore saying that she drove him to this point and it's her fault. And as much as this pains me to say, this is not Kim Kardashian's fault, people. Kanye um, has been diagnosed with bipolar. Um, if he's not taking his meds, as he's allegedly not, um, this is the sort of thing that we should anticipate happening. So, <clears throat> when you look at all this, things seem really out there, and things seem to be really complicated. And I'm about to make them a whole lot more complicated with these next two pieces. Over the weekend, Kanye invited some of his paparazzi friends into his house in Wyoming. He kept them waiting, and then when he actually spoke to them, he let them know that he expected them to follow his narrative and what he wanted them to say. They went back and told all of the press what happened. My source in LA told me that the last time paparazzi had an incident like this was back in 2007 when Britney had her breakdown. He also told me that 
Um, despite what people are thinking, it really does not appear as though this presidential campaign was put together um, with the intention of helping Donald Trump. Rather, Connie thought he could actually win and become president. Um, and he wants to unseat Donald Trump. He believes that um, if anyone can do it, it's him. Uh, and <clears throat> he believes, um, and he's not a psych- psychologist, neither am I, uh, but he believes that Connie is in the middle of a, um, a very dangerous manic episode. Um, now, obviously, this is not an official diagnosis, um, and I promised Will that I would definitely add in none of us are trained or licensed in any state uh, to perform official diagnoses. Um, but we've all been around enough to see um, what something like that would look like. And I can see that I need to take a break. So I'll be right back. And I am back. So, I just want you guys to know, I actually had a 12-minute segment on this already recorded. <laughs> and then we got some breaking news, and I had originally wanted to do um, just two different segments, but Will thought it would be better if we um, re-recorded this and... If we, re- if we re-recorded this segment and included the news um, as one big uh, segment. So, <laughs> as you can see, he won that battle. <laughs> it Really, it didn't take much convincing on my part. So, uh, okay. You guys know that Will and I joke about our our fights. Um, it's a running joke through the show, and I don't think anyone really thinks um, Will and I actually fight about things. Um, usually, if he makes this <laughs> like he suggested, I should be able to talk. You know, hosting a podcast, I should be able to, but you know, shit happens. <laughs> If Will makes a suggestion, normally, uh, I will just go ahead and, um, and give it a try. Except for production notes, because god damn it. <laughs> um, anyways. Anyways, we're gonna move on from that. Whoopi Goldberg and Megan McCain have been feuding off-screen, um, for months. We told you this. Um, the view, uh, even before the pandemic hit, the view was a very tense workplace. Uh, and people thought, well, with the co-hosts working from home, it's going to be less so. That proved to be a, a very false narrative. Uh, in fact, um, things have become even more tense uh, without the face-to-face Uh, There have been many subjects where Whoopi had actually wanted to tackle them. uh, And Megan really just threw a fit. Um, And and really persuaded the producers to listen to her. Now, 
you know, I reported, I've been reporting on The View, it seems like every week for at least the last two months, if not further back than that. Um, and it almost always revolves around Megan McCain's bad behavior. Um, a couple of weeks ago, she was feuding with Sonny Haston. Last week, she was feuding with Joy Behar. And Joy actually got one of my favorite lines in. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but... Um, Megan had said, you're 77, you're too old to be on TV. And Joy shot back, without me, there is no view. I've been here since the beginning. So someone like you could come onto the show. And there are very few um, people who can claim that. In fact, really, there's only five um, who um, who originated the show. Joy is the only one who has been a constant uh, presence on the show throughout its uh, 23-year history. Um, Whoopi is a very close second, though. Um, she hasn't been there since the beginning. But I think she has the second or third longest tenure. Um, I I don't have the numbers in front of me. Like I said, I recorded this earlier. But she's either <clears throat> near Barbara's tenure, any other time when Barbara left the show... Or she surpassed it. Um, But in any case, um, of all the co-hosts that have come and gone, Joy and Whoopi... Joy and Whoopi are the two mainstays here. Um, And producers were already fed up with Megan's diva demands off-screen. Um... And in fact, they have a nickname for her. I don't know if you guys remember, but they call her Princess Nepotism. Because they don't... The way she carries on about her father and his legacy... um, They don't believe that she got the job of her own merits. So... On... The episode that aired on the 28th of July. They were talking about a hashtag movement. And Megan's point was that conservative women generally are not invited to join these uh, movements for whatever reason. Um, And she was kind of lamenting the fact that conservative women are more or less locked out. And it was a fair point. However, she was talking about the Women's March and tied them to uh, a leader who is very anti-Semitic. And Whoopi jumped in just like she does with all the other co-hosts to correct her and said only one of the women were tied to this dude. And Megan... uh, Megan... Said no, they both were. You, uh, you weren't there, and Whoopi's like, I was there. I, and the two battled it out. Uh, with Megan essentially calling Whoopi a liar. 
So, Whoopi had producers pull the clip, and um, at the end of the show, she she told um, the audience that it was that the clip was on the website, which proved that she was there. The media had a field day with this, um, and frankly, it was. It was very, very um, surprising. Um, I have... I have been um, reading about The View. I have um, been following it since almost the very beginning. And never before do I remember them pulling up um, a clip to disprove... A co-host. Uh, I'm not saying it never happened. I just can't recall it. In in all my searches, I've not been able to pull it up. Um, I just read um, Ladies Who Punch for a second time, and there was nothing in there. Uh, they've pulled it up to pull, get that gotcha moment for guests. Um, most famously, uh, with Elizabeth Hasselbeck and... Kathy Griffin, um, and it still backfired on Elizabeth, so, but never before have, has this happened with two co-hosts. Um, so after, after the show, they had a meeting, and Whoopi basically laid it out on the line. She's tired of Megan lying, um, and Megan went after Whoopi and called her a bully. And Whoopi said, I'm a bully because I won't let you fucking lie. That, according to my sources, is a direct quote from Whoopi Goldberg's mouth. And let's face it, we can all believe that Whoopi actually said this. Um, you know, let's, let's be honest here. So, um, and the two kept battling it out with Megan whining that she doesn't need the stress because she's pregnant. And them saying, well, you know, you have the option to go on maternity leave if you want. And nothing came of that. Um, she didn't say she, she wanted um, to go on maternity leave or anything of that sort. Um, so, um, after the dust settled, ABC News execs huddled, trying to figure out what to do about their Megan McCain problem. And they really couldn't figure it out, because they felt like any way they went... They were in a no-win situation. So, they debated and they, whatever, through, basically through the night, um, with very, very little uh, rest on the episode for the 29th, Megan McCain was conspicuously absent. 
Um, in the past, when she's been absent, Whoopi has addressed the absence. Uh, and this time there was nothing. Um, there was no, this was a pre-planned day off. Uh, or any kind of that other spin. Now, that's not so much of a shock as um, Will said to me when we were talking about this um, segment this morning. Here's where the shock comes in. They had Sarah Haynes filling in as guest co-host. Now, the reason why I'm saying that this is a surprise is for two reasons. A, um, they don't always have a guest co-host when one of the ladies takes a day off. B, uh, Sarah Haynes, we know is coming back. Um, We've been told by our source at ABC multiple times that she's coming back. So, I'm not quite sure um, what this was. And I kind of threw a hypothetical up to Will, and then I threw it up to our source. Are they considering Sarah Haynes for the conservative seat? Now, up until this point, Sarah Haynes has not really um, spoken about her political affiliation. So it would have been a very big surprise um, if they just announced her as as a conservative voice without any kind of lead-in. My source responded with, that's what they're trying to figure out right now. Uh, And I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know if that means that um, Sarah Haynes would just be a fill-in conservative voice until they found a, a bigger name, or if Sarah Haynes is going to be the conservative voice. Um, it's definitely the role she filled today, um, without the big gotcha moments or propagating... Uh, or, I, let me rephrase that. She didn't trumpet Fox News propaganda. Um, so, I think this is going to be a little bit of an interesting ride with The View um, over the next few weeks. Their new season is set to begin in September, um, as is customary. And we're going to be right... Um, we're going to be right in the heat of the presidential election, so... This shit is going to get good, (laughs) y'all. And speaking of the presidential election, Will is coming up with Politalk next. Thank y'all so much for listening, as always. And until next time we talk, cheers. Hey, folks. Producer Will here. Welcome back to Politalk. I hope you'll excuse the relatively poor quality of the audio this time around. My usual recording space is not available to me, and I have a sore throat that is making me sound like I am gargling gravel. Which is not a huge departure from how I normally sound, but I figured you'd notice. Anyway, on to the news. 
This week, we hit the unfortunate milestone of 150,000 dead from the coronavirus. Reports that new cases have started to abate across the South have been matched by reports that cases are spiking in the Midwest. However, with many states still unwilling to go into lockdown, it looks like it'll be increasingly difficult to fight these spikes. Populations are more spread out across the Midwest and West region, which hopefully will slow the spread of the disease. However, hospitals in this region are also more spread out, leaving them vulnerable to be overwhelmed by surges in COVID cases. On the Trump administration front, Attorney General Barr testified before the House yesterday. It was a singularly boring meeting, with Barr dodging most of the questions presented to him and House Democrats neglecting to press him seriously in favor of making speeches and grandstanding. A couple of major takeaways from the hearing are that Barr did not agree to hold off on releasing his prosecutor's report into the 2016 uh, investigation of the Trump election until after this election, but instead said that he would release it whenever he was ready, raising fears of an October surprise. In addition, Barr attempted to back up Trump's claim that mail-in voting was and is hugely open to fraud, but admitted that he had no evidence for it when pressed. Barr also defended police departments across America and the federal government's response to the protests in Portland, while also denying that systemic racism was a major problem in America and in police departments. Speaking of the federal response in Portland, the government has begun sending federal agents out to conduct similar strategies in other cities, Federal agents began arriving in Chicago this week. However, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot resisted calls from some of her city councilors to try and force the agents out. She claimed in an interview that they would merely be assisting the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and the FBI with duties that they had always carried out within the city, and that they would not be working against the protests or using Portland tactics. Whether or not that's true remains to be seen, as does whether her response will change if it's true. Our last big story concerns Trump and his former favorite news network, Fox. Fox News releasing a number of polls showing Trump falling behind Joe Biden has angered the president substantially. We've heard reports that he is looking to break off his relationship with Fox in favor of purchasing a stake in the conservative One America News Network after the election is over, should he lose. Our sources claim that Trump has a gentleman's agreement with One OAN owner Robert Herring to take over the network and attempt to bring it into the mainstream once he leaves office. Whether or not OAN becomes Trump TV in name as well as in fact remains to be seen, however, given Trump's history with putting his name on everything, I personally expect it's a move he'll make as soon as he comes into a position of power at the network. And that will be all for this week, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'll see you again this time next week. Here's a toast to our listeners and to everyone out there in the healthcare system fighting the coronavirus. Cheers! <laughs>